The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P-Nate and Pooty. Not in Garage Mahal, though. We're actually in your office. I'm going to call it a study from now on. It's your study. We're in your study. Yeah, that's uh, with J- Jared Wilson told us to make sure we call it a pastor's study, not a pastor's office. Yeah. I was hoping that was my own idea, but you just stole it. You just credited who it was I yeah, stole it from. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and that's we it. are in my office. This, so this is a, a jump back all the way to the very first episode. We, we've been, uh, we recorded the first episode, the awful first episode in the office, and then we've been at Garage Mahal for so long. We've gotten used to it, but we're back. It, we're it, back today. If anybody's actually listened since the first episode and are still with us we're and they're sorry. not blood related, <laughs> thank you. Um, so we're in the office and uh, we actually have a couple of guests. So uh, we're joined by uh, Jacob Rayom, who is a pastor at Trinity Bible Chapel in uh, Breslau, which uh, for those of you who, like me, don't know where Breslau is, uh, it's uh, close to, it's kind of between Guelph and Kitchener, correct? Yeah, just outside of Kitchener and soon to be located in North Waterloo, just south of St. Jacobs. There you go. Can, uh, can I point out that that whole area, Guelph, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, they all feel like the same city to me. The moment they seem I, to be bleeding like, together a little I bit. I feel like there's like, where's, I don't know, it's in that area of the yeah. like 15 cities that are all connected. That's because you're not one of us. You don't understand. <laughs> Not one of us. Um, so Jacob has been on the podcast before. Uh, he's a pastor and a friend, uh, and we're actually kind of revisiting some of the some of the things that we talked about the first time around. Um, but uh, he's brought with him uh, another friend of the podcast, a friend of his, and a Trinity Bible Chapel member, uh, Eric Schneider. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you here. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Thanks for being here, guys. And before we jump into the the actual topic of the episode, we always start off with Rebel News. So I have a Rebel News item, so you're kind of getting put in the hot seat. This is just what I usually do to Chris. So um, so take a swig at this one. But So recently, with the whole Me Too thing that's been going on in the last little while, and slowed down a little bit from where it was last year, but uh, a, a, as with any sort of cultural shift, um, capitalism gives rise to new em- enterprises. And uh, one of the things that came in the wake of the Me Too movement is um, what's called reputation insurance in Hollywood. So um, this, this idea of reputation insurance has now uh, been kind of normalized where um, both companies, um, particular franchises and actors and actresses themselves are taking out insurance on their reputation so that if any of them were to get me too if any of them had, and, and a lot of the contracts look like, you know, if, if they ever fell, quote, fell out of favor with the public, um, such that they lost jobs or a brand lost perceived capital or a uh, studio of some kind lost, uh, lost money because, you know, so you think of uh, shows like House of Cards, which had Kevin Spacey at the helm of it before he got me too'd. And you look at some of these things. So, so now you pay into this insurance so that if you are ever to make a, a major moral failure and fall out of favor with the public, uh, you can get the money that you would be owed so you don't have any repercussions for your moral failure. So this is the brave new world we live in. I wanted your thoughts on it. I, I won't work on Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right? This, I mean, but I mean, it's most of Hollywood is an abject moral failure. So absolutely. We shouldn't be surprised that these things are coming to light and I anticipate there'll be more. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? And, and I think that's a, that's a perfect response. I mean, how, how funny is it that, um, how sad is it really that, um, what they're trying to essentially do is absolve any of the consequences of horrible moral failures. So instead of sort of 
maybe we should try not to do things <laughs> that will get, you know, get all this public backlash. Instead, let's just take out insurance so that when we do, well, you, we don't lose any money. So the well, consequences just aren't well, nearly as serious. That's well, right. and you think what these people, typically Hollywood is known for promoting on the silver screen or, I mean, they're actually people. One of the things that's amazed me about Hollywood is that people actually conceive of these dark plot lines and salacious scenes to the point where they are willing to write them on paper and pay someone and order someone to live them out. I mean, these people are thinking around brainstorming. um, Like new scenes of degrading. Filth. Yeah. And they get paid to do it. Right. So what do you think their private lives look like? Yeah. I mean, this is what they do in the open. What do they do in private? Hmm. And my guess is we're probably not even scratching the surface with some of this Me Too stuff. I think um, in time, you're probably going to find a a lot more. So, I mean, I can't blame them if they want to run for shelter (laughs) on some insurance clause. But it's, you know, these things unravel eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's I I find it uh, I find it interesting that, um, you know, there's this double standard and it kind of has to do with, uh, uh, Colleen and I are reading, uh, Doug Wilson's book, why children matter. I don't know if you ever read mm-hmm. it, but, um, the big idea of the book is essentially that children learn by imitation more than instruction. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. while we do have to instruct our kids, um, they learn more by imitation, which is, you know, if they're, if they're being disciplined by somebody who's lost their minds because they've done something to, to anger me, uh, they're learning as much about imi- uh, through imitation as they are about the instruction while I'm whooping them. Right. And so the, <laughs> so the idea here is, um, you have Hollywood who's putting out these 50 shades of gray and, um, game of thrones and, and worse, right? Those are just kind of some, but even ones. not just worse, but even things that are more mild than that, that are still right. God's people like have yes. no business being involved in. And, it's been going on for a long time, but you're absolutely right. They're- so, they, so they're 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 putting this stuff out there, and they're, and they're showing the lives of these people, and they're they're as you said, sitting around a boardroom like daydreaming, what what brainstorming what, a yeah. rape scene, and and so they're doing all that, and then and then they all act outraged when they find that there's been a guy who's raped someone, and, or sit or made an off color comment right. about the way yeah. someone looks yeah. oh can you believe they did that it's like well yeah because <laughs> no you're, i you're, can't believe it <laughs> you're creating the culture that allows for this and not only allows for this but like if if in the recesses of your dark mind you're brainstorming these things this is who what, they are that's exactly right and and so it's just it's it's uh, Hollywood seems to have taken on what the entire culture has taken on. And I bring up the parenting analogy because you've heard the old adage, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Right. And here's Hollywood saying, you know, do as we say, not as our movies show you to do. Right. And so it's just, it's just such a moral disconnect. It's hilarious. Sad, sad. Not yeah, yeah. And I think their moral disconnect will rise up in judgment on them on the last day. Absolutely. I mean, their own words are going to be used against them unless they repent. And, I mean, and not only will the, their own words be used against them, but an, a culture that's outraged over this, Me Too, that has been paying 15 bucks to go watch Me Too's happen on the silver screen while they lick butter off their fingers from eating popcorn is going to hear their own words stand up in condemnation against them on the day of judgment. Yeah. Two, two things. One, there's nothing wrong with butter on popcorn, right? Like <laughs> Nothing wrong with butter on popcorn. But if you're watching this stuff happen, yeah. while you're so numb to it, while you're licking the butter and salt off your fingers, and yet you're outraged when it actually goes on in private, yeah. um, there's something deeply wrong with you, and you're yeah. going to answer for that before, yeah. when you stand before the living God. Yeah. They, they absolutely are going to answer for it. What, what I find funny about this whole thing is that um, they've, they've set themselves up as a society like celebrities in general have set themselves up as you can't call us on anything and but we're going to morally dictate to you how you should live but as soon as it comes in the light shines on them their internal lives it's a house of cards they fall down because they, none of these people are are good people right, right? and so you get a, a situation where they've built themselves up like almost like the nobility back in the day where it's like you can't the regular people can't right. call anything to me Hollywood's elect right <laughs> basically yeah. yes yeah. which is why they think they have a, a platform to speak about moral issues why right. they can when they're clearly immoral by what they're producing, right? Yeah. So I find it very funny that 
it's now it's now coming out where where, where the the lights actually getting shined on them a little bit because of what they've been preaching for so long. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that this continues to go on and um I think when this is all said and done, what you're going to find is that as bad as the Catholic Church scandals were in the 80s and 90s, I think it's going to be nothing compared to what happens in Hollywood. I mean, that's my right. just judging from the surface, judging from the surface, what these people stand for and what they peddle. And then and then here, another thing that I thought about as it pertains to this whole Me Too thing with Hollywood is is it goes beyond Me Too. So it goes beyond a sexual um, harassment or a sexual assault and you back it up. Even even more to where it's simply an off-color joke that someone made yep. that is no longer considered politically correct. And so they dig something up on someone from 10, 15, 20 years ago, and now there's a massive outrage mob on them. And they're fired and they're thrown down a black hole and you never uh, hear about them again. And so this, is, this isn't just a culture of hypocrisy, but it's a graceless culture. There, there's no such thing as forgiveness or redemption in that kind of environment because it's a standard that is always moving and it's a standard that even though it's always moving, if you cross it, you've now committed an unpardonable sin right. and you're just a not, you're depersoned right. now. And so there's on one side, you've got no law of God that's yeah. transcendent. Right. And on the other side, you've got no redemption of God right. that offers grace and that's mercy. Right. So it's a lawless and gospel-less culture uh, that's rearing its ugly head and uh, they're going to eat their own. They're going to they're well, destroy themselves. Well, all, all you can do in a culture like that is not um, come forward and admit what you've done and all, because they're going to be merciless with you. What you got to do is what they're doing now is just Ensure find new it. ways to hide it. <laughs> right. Find new ways yeah. to hide from the light instead of coming to the light, even if you've done, even if you've had some misdeed in your past, you, you dare not admit it. Right. And I think, so to look at this somewhat optimistically is I think there's going to be a great opportunity for the church to speak into a culture as everything collapses in on itself, right? You're even seeing now, you're seeing all, all the various letters in the LGBTQ2, you know, um, long acronym turning in on each other, right? As, mm-hmm. as yeah. um, transgender individuals, like boys pretending to be girls, start winning sports events and taking the place uh, of the gold medal that rightly, rightfully belongs to an actual biological woman. You have feminists now rising up speaking against transgenderism. And so you see that sort of culture eating itself. And I think there's going to be a great opportunity for the church to speak in, just as you were saying there, Jacob, where there is no grace and there is no redemption and there's no way for these people to atone for their own sins. Well, guess what? The church actually has a gospel that preaches you don't have to atone for your own sins because somebody else did. So there's going to be a great opportunity, as I, but I think it's going to, honestly, I feel like it's going to take an entire cultural collapse um, before uh, that actually gets listened to. so and, and that's why the church must remain faithful in these days. Amen. Because we're going to have an opportunity when this thing caves in on itself to help show the way forward. Right. And it, it, these things, if, what you sow, you reap. And what has been sown since the 1950s and 60s in Hollywood and has increasingly become worse, they will reap a harvest. Yep. And if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. They will... Our culture, our country will reap a whirlwind. And it's so important that the church stay faithful and committed to the word of God unapologetically and boldly in these days so that when the whirlwind is finally reaped, we can say, hey, this is the way forward. There is pardon at the cross. There is grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And uh, he has a law that isn't shifting and changing, uh, but is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's right. And uh, and when you're uh, when you're living in Christ, it's there's freedom because you're not guessing. Well, is someone going to come after me with a club tomorrow because right. the law has now changed and all of a sudden the rules are different? And 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 those that have transgressed will find mercy. Right. And although their sins are red as crimson, he will make them. White as snow, the Lord loves taking the uh, the crooked roads and making them straight. That's right. And so I think that's actually a great segue because, it, you know, so you, you um, kind of encourage the church and those listening who are pastors and church leaders and churchgoers, remain faithful in your gospel witness because there will be a collapse and the church needs to be faithful and ready for that collapse. 
And I guess what we're talking about today is is unfaithful gospel witness or what we see and as a threat to that. And so that, that's why this is so important, because there is going to be a collapse and there are going to be people looking um, for pardon and they're not going to find it in a gospel less gospel right in a, in a gospel that has been ripped of its entire scriptural power and that's really what we're talking about today so um, to kind of introduce this topic for those of you who um, who were uh, listened to the episode we had with Jacob on I would say it was almost a year ago I think the first one um, we did was probably about 15 16 months ago and then we did another one of September 2018 right. I think yeah. and and I think um, and at, so at the time, what was happening was uh, Pastor Paul Carter, who is a part of the uh, Gospel Coalition Council, um, was entering into some dialogue with Bruxy Cavey, um, who is a, I would call him a megachurch pastor, right? Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's certainly got the biggest following of any uh, single church teacher in Ontario, in Canada, I would Probably say. Probably Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Kenneth Copeland still lives out in Vancouver, but that's not the kind of company you want to be lumped <laughs> in with either way. Um, so, Bruxy Cavey, uh so they entered into this dialogue, and essentially, I guess the the whole purpose of the dialogue was uh, that Bruxy Cavey seems to seems to have been under attack by evangelicals, and particularly reformed evangelicals. And Carter, particularly, particularly Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jacob was in on it too. It's all Eric. Blame Eric. So Carter, yeah, so Carter um, enters into these dialogues, and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate this, but it seems as though the purpose of it was to either have Cavey come out as a condemned heretic by the Gospel Coalition or absolved of his heretical label by the Gospel Coalition. Like, I don't know what else the purpose was other than to say that's what they were essentially doing is sort of probing around, is this guy in line or not? Well, ostensibly it was, uh, you know, well, the articles are called Seeking Clarity, right, with Bruxy Cavey. And uh, so that was... um, if we're to believe the title, then uh, yeah, that's what it, they're they're supposed to be seeking clarity. Yeah, right. So, what's this guy really teaching? What's he really all about? And, and instead of listening to their teachings, they did an edited interview. Yeah, and so and 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 this is, I guess, this is the problem. So, I don't, I you know, I I'm not privy to everything that's going on in the TGC boardroom, but um, essentially, what they decided was. You know, have some sort of a dialogue with with KV, explore your options and talk to him, figure out what he believes, and then we'll kind of and then pass judgment on it. Instead of, I mean, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Bruxy Cavey has been teaching and preaching, teaching at biblical uh, at seminaries, um, teaching in his own church, small groups, um, Sunday school classes, writing books. I mean, he's been doing this for decades. And so there's no shortage of teaching out there from what he actually has said. And yet the the strategy was, well, let's go and just ask him these questions again. Right. <laughs> and... And it wasn't even a an unedited sort of dialogue between the two of them. It was a back and forth, written, edited, um, sifted through, very polished very document can. that came out. Yeah, nice little package. And uh, and at the end of it, I guess you know, am I, would I be wrong to say essentially at the end of it, um, the conclusion that Paul Carter came to, which carries the weight of TGC, and so I don't want to say. You know the Gospel Coalition was well, doing it under the TGC Canada banner, right? The whole so it's thing. Being and he's probably the them. most outspoken member of the council. You, you don't hear from any other members. Well, he puts out. Yeah, he seems to put out more he's material than yeah than any, the rest of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's really the face of TGC Canada, I think. Right now, certainly social media in terms of yeah. you know I, I and we'll we'll get into sure, we'll sure. get into all this, but yeah, yeah. and so his conclusion was essentially um, Bruxy Cavey's a brother. Um, and he's just not reformed. But he's just he's, an Anabaptist. He's, but yeah. He's a, yeah, he's just an Anabaptist. He's not reformed, but he's a uh, he's an evangelical brother. And Th- that was the conclusion. I don't know. I don't know that. It, did they call him an evangelical? I I don't think that was the case. I think it was more. He's he doesn't say things the same way we do, but he's certainly not a heretic, and he is a brother. I mean, right. and and the thing is with Paul Carter. Is he? It's not just that he said I, I'm not convinced he's a heretic, which is fine. Not everyone has to be convinced he's a heretic. I mean, Eric and I have been listening to this stuff for a very long time. That goes way beyond 
a couple of interviews yep. um, last September. I mean, it's it's this has been going on for literally years for Eric and uh, me listening to it. So Carter doesn't have to come right down and say he is a heretic. Fine. Say, I'm not convinced he's a heretic, but at least express some caution. Right. Okay. Some concern. His language has confused people. Right. We can understand why someone might draw that conclusion. Right. That he's a heretic. But right? I, but I, from, from everything I've read, mm-hmm. um, not only was none of that communicated, right? Mm-hmm. No caution, no. no concern, no warning. Um, but it actually came out pretty amicable where somebody who follows the Gospel Coalition who maybe has never heard of Bruxy Cavey might be inclined to go and check out his teaching. Like it, like it was oh, yeah. that, it was oh, yeah, that absolutely. friendly. It was that sort of, Oh, he's, he, he's probably one of us. He just says things a little well, different. Right. They even express, um, you know, that they're, they're friends and yeah. stuff. Well, like they go that back and there. forth online and I mean, he's Carter's, well, he's just got a Scottish brogue. He speaks a little differently. That's kind of the way right, Carter puts right. it. Right. And so, um, and so the, and the tagline for those of you who don't know for meeting house, which is Bruxy Cavey's sort of empire, um, is uh, church for people who aren't that into church. So suddenly you have some people who've been pointed towards maybe a couple gospel coalition, um, articles by a pastor or a Christian friend or something who now have an avenue into a church for people who aren't into church. Hey, that's me because I'm not a Christian. Um, let's go see what this guy has to say. And suddenly you have a very different gospel, and we'll get into this, a very different gospel. Um, I, and I'm using air quotes, which is bad radio, but quote unquote, winning people, right? Winning people into the faith um, through a, a, a truncated gospel. Um, and so that's why this is a big concern to us, because we believe that Bruxy Cavey um, is talking out of both sides of his mouth. We believe mm-hmm. that he was um, disingenuous in those interviews, uh, I think is a fair way of putting it. Uh, I would say outright evasive, um, uh, d- dishonest. I think um, he has canned answers that he knows w- how they sound to different audiences right. and depending on his audience. That's been my experience and everything I've listened to from him. Depending on his audience, he feels either freer to be really specific or not so much. Right. And I think uh, he saw an opportunity here to to speak to some reformed people and, and try to make it look as much like he uh, is at least... You know, while not coming out and saying, hey, yeah, I'm actually reformed. You know, yeah. he's not saying anything even close to that, but he's at least using language that will soothe people's right. concerns. Right. right. And um, so anyway, all of this comes to a head because uh, on the Unbelievable podcast, uh, they bring on both KV and Carter and have uh, a, a, a podcast um, it's a popular podcast, got a lot of traction. It was shared by Carter, shared by the Gospel Coalition. Um, this this whole thing was um, was out there for, for quite a bit. And so for those of us, and a, you know, a lot of our listeners are from the States. Bruxy Cavey might not be a name that you're used to. I would say for us, this is kind of the most threatening voice. In- Please, America, help us. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> I mean, this, this is the most threatening voice that we're combating here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of got his stamp of approval um, by the TGC and by Paul Carter and, and through this podcast, which has gained a lot of traction. Suddenly his his audience grows because of this. And so we're addressing it because that unbelievable podcast just came out, resurfaced a lot of this stuff. And then as a result of it, you see um, some of the Gospel Coalition guys, Carter in particular, who's then um, sending out articles talking about, you know, helpful dialogue and, 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 you know, don't be so quick to throw out terms like heretic and, and these sorts of things, which aren't really about this, but they are about this. And, uh, and so we wanted to talk about it and just to kind of disarm any of our listeners who would say, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. I just wanted to defend why we're doing this. Um, first of all, we've talked about that threat and I think it, it ties directly into the rebel news and that serious conversation we started with. It ties directly into that. But on top of that, yes, I think it's, um, it's, uh, okay for us to respond. It's actually good for us to respond publicly because all of this was done publicly, right? Their podcast was mm-hmm. public. The articles were public. Gospel Coalition is a very public ministry. Number two, we have reached out to Carter. Um, at, at least the three of us, Jacob and Eric and myself, have all in various ways over the last couple of years reached out to Carter at the very early stages of this, when we had Jacob on the first time, we reached out to Carter to see if he wanted to come on um, with Jacob or after Jacob and talk about this. And there was no interest on that part. And I, I mean, 
feel like I can just say that we've all kind of been blocked on social media as well. Can we just say that? Like, yeah. um, so, so there seems to be an unwillingness to talk and about it. E- emails aren't returned or yeah. so, so send all your comments to me. Cause I'm still not unblocked. <laughs> yeah. so, after so, this, you will be yeah, after this. You might be. Yeah. So, so I just say that to say we've done all that we can to make this a, uh, behind, behind private doors conversation. I've offered to meet, I offered to meet with pastor Paul Carter and no, no, like it's right. Uh, it, what do you do? Right. Cause he's, he's telling people he wants dialogue and openness of communication and right. Gracious dialogue between brothers. And, uh, okay, that would be nice. Right. Right. So this is in no way meant to be a character assassination. This is the, the reason we're doing this is, is, you know, if we can pull out the seeking clarity with Bruxy Cavey, we want to actually seek clarity because we think, we think that Cavey has said a whole lot of things that would have made that entire interview unnecessary because of some of the things that he said. And this isn't reaching back 20 years ago. This is very recent teaching because what we've seen and what we've observed is that he talks out of both sides of his mouth. As Eric just said, he knows who his audience is and he, and he kind of caters to who his audience is. So we're going to go through clips from that podcast and we're going to show you why we think Bruxy KB is far more dangerous than the Gospel Coalition has concluded. And then we'll kind of talk about why it's important and maybe some application to pull from that. Does that sound good? And, and that was my concern. I started hearing the word and and therefore reading the article to find out what, what has gone on here, uh, what's been said that would, that would bring that. And a lot of what I saw, a lot of what I read, um, didn't seem to be casting Bruxy's words in, in a fair light, in a, in a generous light, meaning it, it, it seemed to be taking him at, uh, in sound bites and, and, or at the, in the worst possible meaning of what he just said, uh, without any attempt to ascertain context. And, and so, that was, to be perfectly honest with you, that was one of the motivations for the conversation. We just thought, let's, let's do this right. Uh, let's ask questions. Let's allow him to answer in his own words. Let's try to get behind labels. Okay, so Carter, uh, in the uh, Unbelievable podcast, is essentially saying that uh, the, one of the motivating factors for why they entered into this dialogue, seeking clarity with Bruxy Cavey, was because he felt as though... The attacks on Bruxy were unwarranted because a lot of what he was being, uh, a lot of what was being quoted was taken out of context. What are your thoughts on that, Eric, as a guy who's sat through a lot more teaching of Bruxy KV than, than I would recommend? Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, no, here's the thing about that is, um, I'm the one who amassed, uh, a lot of those quotes because I listened to hours and hours and a sickening number of hours of Bruxy Cavey's teaching, listening, re-listening, all that stuff, right? So uh, I amassed a bunch of quotes. Um, I've written a number of blogs. Jacob's written a number of blogs um, and that kind of thing about this. And here's the thing. If Paul Carter actually thinks any of it was taken out of context, he hasn't communicated it to me and he hasn't demonstrated in any way that they're taken out of context. And as far as I know, uh, other guys I've read who have used even some of the KV quotes that I've published and gone back and found, because I cite all my quotes, yep. I cite them, I say, this is where you can find it, this is a timestamp on this podcast or teaching or conference uh, uh, talk or whatever it is. And um, so other guys have used my quotes and gone in and found where they are and listened to them themselves and written their own articles. And I've read those and I've not found that any of them are taken out of context as well or been um, or have been uh, in any way unfair to what Cavey's actually saying. So there was a time where I had private conversation with uh, Carter online through private messaging and things like that. And none of those concerns were ever raised to myself about any of that. He knows where a lot of this stuff has come from, uh, my, which is me. And yep. uh, if he had concerns about that, I don't, I'd like to know what, tech, what quotes he thinks are taken out of context, how I'd like to hear him back up his claim that they're taken out of context. And I'd like to actually be able to discuss, uh, you know, is it, it, who's being more accurate with what KV, not just with, with what KV has said over his teaching over a number of years. Right. Right. Um, 
And I, I really don't think that uh, the picture of that Carter is painting of KV after these little interviews and things like that, I, I don't think that they are understanding the context of KV's, uh, uh, what KV is saying and what his answers are. But the difference here is I can, I can go in and actually say, this is what KV said. This is where he said it. This is the context. I can defend my use of these quotes and I don't think that Carter can defend right. his, his conclusions uh, if we actually look at the totality of Cavey's teaching and not just the answers that Cavey's willing to give him for a published article on the TGC website. Right. And, it, and I think, I mean, the analogy that you could use here is this is like... This is like, um, you know, uh, somebody robbing a convenience store and there's there's video footage of them robbing the convenience store. And then in order to prosecute that criminal, instead of using the video footage, <laughs> they say, why don't you tell me what you think happened to the criminal? Right. right. And, and, then, <laughs> and then allow the criminal to kind of paint his story of like, well, right. no, I didn't hold anybody up at gunpoint. I just threw a couple of Slim Jims in my pocket thinking I'd pay for them. And I happened to walk out of the store. It's just like, well, that's not what the video evidence, but we're not going to use the video ed- evidence because the co- we don't know the context. Right. That's really what this is like. So I think if you're trying to seek clarity, why not go to these hours and hours where he's teaching his the people in his congregation, the people in the seminary where he where he teaches, the people who listen to his midweek podcast and all this kind of stuff, like why not go to those things and say to him, hey, can you explain this to me? This right. is what you said. Here's the clip. Here's the context. Can you explain that to me? Rather than rather than just letting him start concocting the story and, and allow him to kind of talk his way out of it. Right. And I'd what, like to... Sorry, go ahead. I, no, I'd like to know who these nefarious characters are lurking in the shadows maliciously maligning Bruxy Cavey. Like, who are they? Let's get them. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I'm Let's on board for that. Right. If, if there's yeah. somebody out there being dishonest with Bruxy Cavey, then right. yeah. I'm all for it. Right. Let's, uh, let's go after him. Right. So, yeah, so I was just going to say, I think the thing about taking somebody out of context, it, it, it'd be different if there was one, like in your analogy, if it was one incident, you could, you could understand why you would take somebody out of context. Be like, okay, it's a 50-minute sermon, two minutes of it were in error, we can get by that. We can we can explain that away. Right. It's not hard. I like we we. I'm not an expert on Bruxy Cavey's teaching. I haven't put the hours in that Eric has put in. I can Google it within five minutes. Find 15, 20 things that he's that he said that I would be like, that's wrong. That's an error. Right. It's it's a it's like you said a total like a a total amassment of how many things yeah. he said that's in wrong. You can't. You can't make that as a, he's been misquoted at this point. He's right. saying these things. Right, when he's saying the same things over and over, exactly. over the course of years and different contexts and different uh, different places in the world and, di- you know, all different times. I mean, it's not hard. It's not hard to look at it and understand what he's saying. I yeah, mean, exactly. he, there is, there is something that goes into understanding what he's really saying. Right. right. Of course there is. Right. But what it takes is not sitting down and saying, hey, uh, do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible or a different Jesus? And he says, oh, well, I believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> you know, well, right. OK, what do you expect him to say? Right. I mean, um, so like he's, he I mean, he threw him slow pitches with a beach ball and thought, you know, like he's not going to strike out. Let's right. actually deal with what he said. Right. right. Let's present, look, on this date at this time, you said this, and this is the context. What did you mean by that specific thing? And then, and then if you find KV is trying to spin things a certain way, you can take things from the context and say, well, it seems like the context is this, you know, and right. But that's so. Not so speaking what of of lobbed pitches with the beach ball, uh, yeah. let's jump to this next clip because <laughs> sure. this is this is a, an exact example of what you're saying. Uh, one of the first questions I, I asked Bruxy because the the allegation was that it was with respect to the atonement that that Bruxy had sort of um, crossed the line and and wandered off the reservation and and so one of the first questions I, I asked him was, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? And he responded immediately, quoting 1 Corinthians 15, 3, uh, yes, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. I think as soon as that is said, 
the temperature should lower uh, because we're not talking anymore about denying uh, a historical fact or, or a key aspect of the doctrine of atonement anymore. Now we're, we're into the words we use to best describe how, how Jesus did what he did on the cross. And so I think in that sense, uh, it was a, a, a conversation between brothers. It was an intramural conversation. And that, I think, should lower. Right. So <laughs> the beach ball being lobbed at him is, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures? Hey, Broxy, there's a broad side of a barn four feet away. Let's see if you can hit it with a rock. Right. And so and and I guess the point here is there are a lot of um, there are a lot of uh, cults that we would say are cults are in error are heretical um, who believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, right? right? The Mormons believe that, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, there there have been all of these, the, the Catholic Church believes that, right? And we would say that they preach a, a, an erred gospel. So you're not going to catch a heretic with that language. Right. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to Paul Carter's door, does he say, hey, do you believe Jesus died for our sins? And they say yes, then does he assume, okay, this is right. now a conversation between brothers. in the room. You know lower. what? <laughs> you know what? A Jehovah's Witness can even affirm the deity of Christ, right? right? Yep. Technically. So they must be, they affirm the deity of Christ. They affirm that Jesus died for our sins. Well, here's the thing. You know, affirming a biblical text does not preclude one from completely mangling it and and twisting it completely out of shape. And right. when... When KV says that Jesus died for our sins, he means something very, very different yes. than what you or I would mean, or even a lot of people who aren't reformed but are still but still believe a biblical gospel, you know, uh, mean by saying Jesus died for our sins. That's like, right. You know, G- what we mean is that uh, the penalty of sin is death. We deserve to die for our sins. But Jesus died for our, our sins, place. basically, right? right. Like it, as our substitute, he took the penalty that he we satisfied deserve. God's justice. He yeah. satisfied God's justice against our sin by dying for our sin, right? Because that's what justice demands. That's what God demands, right? What Cavey means by he died for our sins, and all you got to do is listen to him preach uh, through Isaiah fifty-three or um, or First Corinthians uh, fifteen. Uh, is Jesus died because of our sin. Right. Right? So, meaning it was sinful for us to kill him. Yes. That's that's what he that's means. That's all he means by that. So, it's very, very different. Right. Completely different. The Cavey's God does not even require right. that Jesus would have died for forgiveness. Yeah. He doesn't require that because his God does not require satisfaction. All he requires is that our sin be removed and forgiven. Right. Right. In KV's Bible, Abraham and Isaac go up the mountain. Abraham's about to uh, stick his son with a knife. The, the voice from heaven says, don't do that. Just go home. Right. There's no, there's no ram. <laughs> there's no there's, substitute. There's no KV's substitute. Bible's like, why do you have a knife? Right. <laughs> well, the ram might be there to prefigure Christ. Right. But, right, but when you, but when you suck my... all the meaning out of what right. Christ did, then... Why well, and, and that's my point is that there's there's so many, you know, we're not just we're not just disagreeing about some of the particulars of Paul's writing, which I think is what KV would talk about. This is something and we've been spending a year at Crossroads going through the, the grand narrative of Scripture. The 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 idea of substitutionary atonement is just throughout. I mean, you can't you can't escape it. And so when you have a guy who is denying a very fundamental part of the gospel, um, it, it's not just a matter of saying, wait, but you believe Jesus died, right? All right, we're good. Well, even with that language, we have to be really specific with K because when we say substitutionary atonement, we assume we mean penal substitutionary atonement. Right. And he would affirm, oh, no, no, I believe in substitution, just not the the penal aspect of that, right? right? In, in the sense that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. So we can't even, that, that's the thing with, uh, you know, uh, someone who is trying to look like he's teaching Christian doctrine adopts our language and uses a different dictionary. 
Right. So when he says substitutionary atonement, even he means something different than what you and I in this room can commonly just assume each other means. Yeah, like, he's very he's very clever because he knows that when he says D- Jesus died for our sins, we're we're as reformed people are all presupposing what he means by that. Right. Yeah. And the problem is he's he, you you he said something there, different. He means something completely different because he's right. translating everything differently. Right. And right. That's Get a different the, that's dictionary. The, exactly. That's yeah. the, that's the heresy here. That's where that's why he's so dangerous. And the right. crazy thing right. is 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 that given the fact that we have documented how much KV has denied penal substitution, how much he's gone after inerrancy, his compromise on uh, marriage, he believes in, there's a third way for sodomite marriage. Okay, so you have those three things. It's all very well documented. And that one simple question was all it took for Paul Carter to affirm KV's yeah. orthodoxy. That's right. Like that's, that's all it took. Without expressing any concern, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you read church, you read the scriptures. I mean, what did Satan do with Eve in the garden? He modified a word, right? He modified yeah. a word. That's exactly what did right. what did Arius do? He didn't just mod- he didn't modify a word. He modified a letter. Yeah. The difference between homoousios and homoousios yep. is right. not a word. It's not even a syllable. Right. It's a letter. Right. It's a letter. And Paul Carter can ask him one little slow pitch question. Oh, now the guy's a brother. Right. I mean. It's 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 reckless. Yeah, it's reckless. Well, what surprised me is he wouldn't. For, it seems like Paul Carter doesn't even expect that it that KV could possibly be doing something a little bit less than honest. Right. Like he doesn't even. He just it, like he talks um, about dealing with. Uh, liberals and that kind of thing, and within his own denomination. And I wonder when he talks to liberals, does he not? Has he not? Uh, understood how they use language. <laughs> like yeah. this is this is what cults and liberals and and all kinds of false teachers for centuries have thrived on is using Christian language and giving That's it a right. different meaning. Yeah. That, so yeah. they uh, use the term as a Trojan horse and load in their own meaning, and, right. and then use that as the sort of common ground to get in. Um, and and that's a good point, Jacob, about uh, about just how what, I even think about like Paul and Galatians, an entire doctrine of Christ as the new Israel based on uh, the singularity of the word seed as opposed to the plurality, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. these these little things matter, right? It was uh, Luther in kind of his recovery of of uh, recognition of the gospel. Again, it had to do with the definition of the word justification, right? Mm-hmm. Not made righteous, but uh, declared righteous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the reformation is born right mm-hmm. and so definitions matter words matter and um, there seems to be a carelessness with words and definitions in this whole exchange there's a naivete right. to it there's a carelessness and there's a sloppiness yeah yeah um, so we, we kind of jumped into penal substitutionary atonement, and that's what this next clip is about. It's about um, kind of the, uh, the, the differences between theories of the atonement. Um, so here's, here's another clip. I think that when we're talking about heresy, we, we have to, I think, very carefully limit ourselves to denial of, as, as Bruxy indicated, the, the, the facts of, of the atonement. And I think that, that there's nothing wrong, and in fact, something very good, uh, about meditating and having godly conversation about atonement theory, because the New Testament does have atonement theory in it. It's the the gospels give us atonement facts, but then the the epistles give us plenty of atonement theory. Where I think we have to be careful is when we're filling in the gaps, because sometimes the uh, you know the apostles are not answering the questions that we're asking in our in our context, and so the the dialogue changes over the centuries. And so it's when we're it's when we're filling in the gaps that I think we're capable of doing the most damage to each other, uh, because in, inevitably we we fill in gaps, we uh, we make assumptions, and and we extrapolate. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying there needs to be some caution when we're dealing in things that are clearly clearly taught in the New Testament, I think we have the right to hold each other accountable to those things. And, and uh, when, when we're using our theological imagination or when we're in, engaged in uh, filling in cracks and crevices in our understanding, um, then I, I think we have to be particularly gracious. So, so what I hear him saying is um, the epistles aren't clear and the epistles give theory, not fact. Is it like is is that well, what he's trying to communicate? I, here? Yeah, I took some notes on that, and 
I want to <laughs> like I want to assume the best of Paul Carter and just hopefully he's yeah, he's just using his language sloppily. But if 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 you you could actually interpret that to mean that these theory quote unquote scare quotes the theory of penal substitutionary atonement is now up for grabs. Right. So you like could it's just not interpret. clear. It's not right. clearly taught. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, and so to say that, okay, so it's a denial of facts of the atonement that is heresy, but not the denial of theory, which you could draw from this. Yep. Okay. And then to say that, and by the way, the gospels have lots of facts and the epistles have lots of theory. Facts are not up for grab, but theory are. is something we can debate and go back and forth on. And that's when it becomes an intramural, I mean, either Carter, and I want to assume he's using his language in a very sloppy way. And if that's the case in this public setting, he needs to, he needs to clarify what he said, hands down. He needs to be called to clarify exactly what he meant there. Because in this, it's one thing to say it in an off the cuff conversation, but when there's this much pressure and there's this much of a spotlight on the situation and there's this many people on the line, he needs to clarify that. So if that's the case, great. Please clarify it. Pastor Paul, if it's the case where he is uh, now saying that penal substitutionary atonement is now up for grabs, then that's a big issue. I want to assume it's the former, yep. but that could be interpreted as the latter. Right. And I think this is where, I mean, you hear Bruxy in, in other quotes. I don't think we have any of these in clips, but you hear him talk about kind of red letter Christianity or, or paying particular attention to the, the words of Christ. And for anybody who recognizes that, you know, all of Scripture is God-breathed and all of Scripture is the Word of Christ. Equally authoritative. Equally authoritative. When Jesus comes and he says, I, you know, um, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he affirms, affirms the entirety of it. So there is no red-letter Christianity in terms of taking the words of Jesus more seriously than the words of Paul, because it's all God-breathed. Um, when, when you start making comments like this to a guy who's taught that sort of paid particular attention to the words of Jesus, that's a problem, right? That's, that's, and, and I've heard Paul be way more clear and way more articulate than this. And it just seems like it's, it, it's getting hard to justify what he's saying. And he's, and it seems like grasping at straws. And even just to say that the, there's no theories of the atonement in, in the gospel accounts is just especially for a Bible teacher, is just ridiculous. I remember uh, last Easter, one of the things we focused on was the substitution of Barabbas for, or Jesus for Barabbas, right? Like you're seeing penal substitutionary atonement through, you want to say that John isn't full of atonement theories, that it's just the facts? You can maybe make that argument for the book of Mark where he's, the whole, he's very, you know what I mean? No, but, but even yeah. the whole phrase theory or the word theory is, yeah. that's just something that, I mean, the liberals came up with that to move the goalposts. See, look, over church mm. history, there's been many, many different kinds of theories. Let's just pick one and play with it. Okay. Right. So you right. could be penal yeah. substitution theory. Um, it, it could be any other theory that you can come up with. I mean, it could be, I mean, if you want to go by that logic, it could be Jesus died to turn the moon into cheese theory. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, let's just pick a theory <laughs> right. and let's go right. with it because that's what the liberals have said. But the reality is, is penal substitutionary atonement is not just a mere theory. It's the heart of the gospel from which all benefits of the gospel flow. Right. And so for, well, it's just a theory up for grabs. No, 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 no. Carter needs to be clear. Right. He needs to come clear on this. Yeah. Very clear on this. This yeah. is too, it's too serious. And for the sake of clarity, you talked about red letter Christians and, and KV in, in the interviews of seek the seeking clarity series, he denied being a red letter Christian. Um, he did deny that explicitly. Uh, but I mean, in the way he teaches, he does, he teaches that Jesus has all authority. Jesus has authority over scripture. Right. And so he teaches that Jesus contradicts scripture. Jesus corrects scripture and, and in different contexts and that kind of thing as well. So it's the same type of effect, but he would reject the label red letter Christian, whatever he means by that. I'm not sure. But, um, I, I think it's interesting when we think about what, Carter just said here. I mean, we're we're talking about a specific text uh, that he just referred to, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, right? Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, right? If that's just theory, um, and, and you can put any meaning into that, and it's equally uh, it's equally valid, right? I mean. Either it means that Jesus died for our sins in a penal substitutionary sense, or it doesn't. Right. 
And it can't mean both. Both, right? It's either it's either it either that interpretation is correct or it is false. So let's talk about the merits of each interpretation, but don't just say, "Oh, well, we can agree to disagree on this." Like especially if you actually believe penal substitution. If you believe, like I believe it's clearly taught in scripture. I don't see how I, uh, anyone I've ever seen try to get around it has to twist scripture yeah, like crazy. A lot of gymnastics. Right? So Either it's true or it's not. That's the bottom line, right? It, so it, if it's if it's not true, then demonstrate it. And if it is true, I think we can more than demonstrate it. And uh, and so. And what about KV's use of the word um, translation of the word hilasterion in Romans three twenty five? I mean, it's propitiation. Yeah. Christ propitiated God's wrath. He satisfied God's wrath and turned it away. He's gone on record as saying. No, it doesn't mean propitiation. It means, what does it mean? Expiation, expiation or something expiation, like that. Yeah. This is what right. KV said. But that's, I mean, Romans 3.25 is is not just atonement theory. Right. It's at the heart of the message of the forgiveness of sins. Right. right. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Yeah. Right? So. What does, does for our sins mean? Yeah. What's it mean? Right. What's it mean? It can't. It can't just be up for grabs. Right. It, we're talking about this. Is Paul says this is the gospel I preach to you, and, it, and okay, it's actually so. pretty clear what it means because it says, oh, according yeah, to the scriptures. Super, yeah. Well, right. what does the scripture say? But why do people? Why would someone die for their sins? Well, the soul that sins must die. The, right. I mean, it's this isn't a moving target we're going after right. here. God's standards do not change over time, and the wages of sin are always death. Christ satisfied the wrath of God. And, and it's just bad hermeneutics to, to kind of pull this one thing out and dismiss all the other. Like anybody who's taken a, a biblical hermeneutics class knows that you, you interpret pieces in, in light of the whole. And, and this right. seems to be what's missing is, is you kind of get these Bible verses thrown back and forth like two ships passing in the night as if they don't all relate to one another and, and that you, you don't interpret them all as a whole. Right. Well, you start, you have to start on Cavey's position. You have to start with the presupposition that scripture is not a consistent whole. Right. You have to start with the presupposition that, uh, that there are errors, there's inconsistency. I mean, um, that's just where you have to start. Right. So when you start there, that's what, guess what? That's what you're going to find. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's keep going through these clips. Um, one of the things that I, I did was try to get behind what does Bruxy mean by the P in PSA? So we, you know, we, we were able to quickly to identify that we don't actually have any agreement on the S and the A. The, the disagreement, the concern is around this idea of the penal nature of Christ's atonement. And so I, I sent him as part of our dialogue, the way we did these conversations, we talked on the phone and then uh, I would take notes as fast as I could. And then I would write that up into a rough draft, send it back. And we would, we might've done that five or six times. There might've been five or six drafts of each conversation. But uh, in one of those back and forths, I sent him a bunch of, um, a bunch of examples of how church fathers taught on the, the penal aspect of the atonement. Because oftentimes reform guys will, will try to make the argument. I think it's a good argument that, actually penal substitutionary atonement has been taught all the way back through the centuries. And so, you know, we'll pass on quotes from, from various uh, church fathers saying, well, this is how this person defined it. And this is how, how this person defined it. And I sent a, a bunch of those to Bruxy and said, you know, could you agree with those? And he said, yeah, I can. I, I don't have a problem with those statements. But none of those statements defining the P in penal substitutionary atonement actually used the phrases that, that he was wrestling with, um, that God poured out his wrath on Christ or that Christ uh, bore the wrath of God on the cross. In, in the early centuries, most of the conversation around the penal aspect of the atonement used words drawn from Galatians 3.13, um, used words like Christ bore the curse. Now, many in the Reformed tradition, and I, I include myself in that, would follow Luther in understanding that to, to bear the curse of God is to bear the wrath. Those are synonyms. Um, but if, if in the pursuit of dialogue, I was talking to somebody who preferred to use words right out of Scripture, right out of Galatians 3, to talk about his understanding of the penal nature of the cross— uh, I'm not sure that I would force him to use my synonyms, even though I think the synonyms are perfectly logical. Uh, and even though I, I, I think that if we're going to talk about Christ averting the wrath of God on the cross, which, which Bruxy agrees with entirely, to avert, he must have in some sense borne and satisfied. 
So that, again, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, but if, if I can further a dialogue with a brother by conceding a set of parallel terms, then, then I'm prepared to do that and, and in order to get at the heart of, of what he means. Because that's, that's really what I'm after. So, um, in the, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where to start with this because it, it kind of goes into everything that we've been talking about, right. about the, the differentiation of how we're defining terms. Right. It's, what's, but here's the thing. The, within our recent memory, something like this happened with the Gospel Coalition. That's right. Right? And that was when James McDonald and Mark Marchuskull had T.D. Jakes on The Elephant Room too. And very, very similar. Well documented that the man was a modalist. They threw him some softball, slow pitch questions and jumped up and said, hey, nothing to see here, folks. Right. right? Trinitarian brother, that T.D. Jakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it's, I, the parallels between that and this are absolutely astounding, especially when it comes to Paul Carter saying, I'm not here to force someone to use synonyms of PSA. And we're not talking about using synonyms. How about just the word propitiation? Right. Did Christ satisfy God's justice or not? That's a very simple question. Right. right. Did he or did he not? Is, is God's justice a moving target or is it not? Right. Must it be satisfied? Right. And I think that's, and this is, this is where the problem of language is, is, is just creating unclarity. Well, this right? is a very yeah. postmodern use of language There's, actually by yes, Paul Carter. Absolutely. Aren't, aren't synonyms like if you say, I'm not going to force you to use my, the synonyms, you know, look, in this context, those synonyms are actually definitions. Right. Right. Uh, so when we're talking about, <laughs> when we're talking about uh, uh, whether Jesus bore our sin. Okay. Well, when you're using synonyms, you're just explaining what that means. And right. you know what? Uh, uh, some people have very different definitions of what that means. Right. And what's interesting is um, there's a clip um, from KB's other teaching, and actually we'll uh, we're going to release some content that we've accumulated that Eric's accumulated. I won't take any credit for it of uh, Bruxy's teaching just to show from his own mouth. We're like we're going through the clips of this podcast, but we've uh, accumulated a bunch of uh, clips from uh, Bruxy's own teaching that show him um, kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth here. And we're going to release that as well so that you can see the quotes and we'll give you all the timestamps, all the citations. You can go and check the context for yourself. But we've kind of accumulated a bit of a montage. And in one of those, KV actually talks about the idea of propitiation being... Um, he, a myth. I, well, not only a myth, but he, he talks about it almost in the, as a sort of morally reprehensible. Like, And the analogy he uses, correct me if I'm wrong, is he says, you know, when, when you have to discipline your son, you don't go and kill the cat. Right. Yeah, right? That's and exactly he, what he says. As and if God's just a big man like us. Yeah, yeah. As if, as if, so, so what he's essentially saying there is this idea that, that Jesus bore the wrath, our sins and took the wrath and absorbed the wrath of God is like a father, an abusive father coming in and instead of walloping his kid kills the cat instead. Right. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. No, here. in fact, a, and, a good father will forgive um, his son or anyone else who transgresses against him on the basis of Christ's penal substitution. That's, that's right. I forgive others because Christ has forgiven me and borne God's wrath on my behalf, and therefore my forgiveness flows out of that. Right. Right. And so, and and one thing to keep in mind here too is, KV says in this interview, he says, you know, most of what I read is Reformed writers, and he claims that he once believed penal substitution. He was taught it in se in seminary. He preached it. All this stuff. And now he's not willing to use the same synonyms. Right. There might be a reason for that. Right. It might be because he flatly denies every right. critical aspect of, of yeah. the atonement. And if you're listening to this, we will have released the montage. Go and watch it because at one point, Bruxy actually says, hey, you can believe penal substitutionary atonement if you want to. Just don't preach it. Right. And then he goes on to say, I happen to think this is a wrong theory of the atonement. And I'd like to convert everybody away from an understanding of penal substitutionary atonement. So it's not just that we're using different terms. It's that he doesn't want people people to teach it right that, he tells well, people not to he right. has a he has a different uh a, a completely different way of defining every term that you would typically use to when we're talking about penal substitution he uses the same terms just fills them with different meaning if you don't mind like i 
would you like me to just kind of just based on his teaching, I can just quickly explain maybe some of the yeah, please do. Okay, okay. So the the first and most foundational error that KV makes, um, and he he taught this again recently when he preached about um, well, fairly recently within the last few months, um, he preached about Isaac. Uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, right? Right. And he believes that the entire idea of blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins uh, is a human construct that God accommodates, right? So it doesn't have its origin in God. It has its origin in man because we have some need to see blood shed in order to feel forgiven. Right. Okay. I. Um, so this will all be in... Yep. This is all this is all well documented in his teaching. It's not like I'm making this stuff up. I mean, we'll we'll be putting out some videos. So it so we need to feel forgiven. We need to see blood in yep. order to feel forgiven. So it's very man-centered. So really, when Jesus dies on the cross, the it it almost boils down to the point where why did Jesus die on the cross? So we could feel forgiven. Right. Right, so that's part so of God it. God could is, put on display something for us to look at and and get our emotions. Right. It satisfied now, our need for so, blood. So he he's explicit that well in the one teaching where he's teaching it, he says, uh, "Well, Greg Boyd is there with him, and Greg Boyd interjects and says, it's Satan who wants blood, not God.' Right, right. So oh, and who who is Greg Boyd's God? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so. And KV's explicit that the only wrath, and he, speaking of cinnamon, synonyms, cinnamon too, yeah, <laughs> synonyms, he, uh, he, synonyms for wrath that he uses in his own teaching, judgment and punishment, right? Yeah. Yep. So judgment and punishment, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about wrath, okay? Um, so the only wrath expressed at the cross at all is humanity's wrath against Jesus, the wrath of the people who were there who killed Jesus. Um, and it, it, that's the wrath that was expressed against Jesus. No wrath from God. God planned the crucifixion and he rose Jesus from the dead and he was in Jesus forgiving us, but there was no wrath being expressed from God onto Jesus. Jesus did, um, okay, sorry. So in yeah. Jesus bore our sin now. Yeah. But bearing our sin um, is that he received our sinfulness onto himself as we sinfully killed him. Like we were sinning against him. He somehow absorbed our sin. He affirms Christ became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He uses that text all the time. So he affirms that. But the sin just died with Christ. When Christ died, the sin died. It's gone. Okay, so that's the sense in which he he bore our sin, and when he's when he's specifically even preaching on Isaiah fifty three, he's talking about bearing our sin and bearing our iniquity. What he's talking about is our wrath coming against him, right? So it's like right. he, uh, it's like if my, I don't know, my teenage son flips out and start. I don't have a teenage son, but <laughs> if he flips out and starts beating me, I'm just bearing it, right? right. I'm just, you know, like... Just turtling under Yeah, that. I'm just, I'm bearing that sin. Um, Man becomes the one who needs the release of wrath, where, right. and right. God has no justice to be satisfied. Exactly. It must be sat- so exactly. God actually, it actually goes back to what we were talking about, about the whole Hollywood thing early on. It becomes a moving target. Yeah. Right. Because all of a sudden, God's standards shift. In the Old right. Testament, he's a God whose wrath might be satisfied, but in the New Testament, he's a God that just kind of can blink away sin. Right, exactly. So um, uh, he says Jesus is our substitute in that he took our sin. Like right. we, uh, in, in Isaiah 53, when it says God laid on him the iniquity of us all, he equates our iniquity with our, our wrath coming against Jesus. So then Jesus then, quote, died for our sin. He, like I explained earlier, means he died because of our sin. Right. Right, um, as in our sinning towards him killed him. Right, uh, so and then our sin just dies with him, and it's gone. And he uses a courtroom analogy. You know, in a courtroom, if you're just not guilty, you just don't get. You're not guilty because your guilt is gone. Then, you know, you just walk it, away. Exactly, that's it. You just walk Acquittal. away. So, 
Um, he, I have heard him use the term that Jesus paid for our sin. I don't exactly know how he means that because it's obviously not in a transactional sense where uh, he paid the, the price for our sin to God, which is how we mean it, right? right. But um, I don't know if he means it like, you know, like in an old 80s movie where some guy says, yeah, you're going to pay for that, you know, <laughs> right. and, it, and it just means he's going to be, I don't know what he means exactly, but it's certainly not in a transactional sense. And uh, when he talks about Jesus becoming the curse, uh, I, I don't know 100% how he defines that either. But um, well, I mean, obviously, based on everything else that he teaches, that it's not the, the wrath of God coming against Christ. Right. That's, that's like when I was listening to the last clip uh, where he's, he's talking about, you know, he would prefer to use it straight out of Galatians 3, that he bore the curse. Like, I wanted to do a Zach Morris timeout and just be like, hey, like, let's pause for a minute and get him to explain what he means by curse. Right. Because Absolutely. what does that what yeah. does that mean? Right. What do you right? mean? He's, he has a different dictionary. Yeah. Well, even with fulfilling yeah. the law, he doesn't mean that God, that Jesus kept the law perfectly. Oh, he, really? Because he teaches that Jesus, when, when the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, yeah. he really was breaking the Sabbath. Oh, okay. He really was. So... So there was no perfect obedience to the law of God. Well, I mean, well, this all he comes... taught he taught against the law of God. He corrected the law of God. Yeah, on wow. Bruxy's view. Yeah, right? So the, see, you you have heard it said, but I say is actually, in in his view, my understanding is actually him correcting the law of God as opposed to the Pharisaical interpretation right. of the law of God. The Phar- wow. so yeah. that's how a lot of times he almost equate he equates Pharisees with like guys like us who take the whole Bible as as equally authoritative because he thinks he thinks the Pharisees interpretation was correct and Jesus does he actually think that the Pharisees well, interpretation was correct well correct as far as Man, it was a right interpretation of the scripture oh yeah it wasn't correct as far as God's standard but it was actually a correct, correct interpretation of the scripture not correct in as far as Jesus standard. Jesus yeah right but correct in as far as a proper just interpretation the of the Old Testament Man. right exactly right. so yeah. so he doesn't even yeah, believe so Jesus taught against the law contradicted the law, corrected the law, and didn't even keep the law perfectly himself. Like this, uh, I'm sorry, a Jesus who did not keep the law of God perfectly cannot save you. Right. And, And I think further to that, if Christ is not our penal substitute, if he didn't bear the full weight of, of God's law and satisfy his justice on our, he didn't fulfill the law. Right. Because part of him fulfilling the law isn't just obeying the law perfectly, it's absorbing the penalty of the law, which right. is God's standard. The law isn't just something that was made up. Right. Like it's, it's God's arbitrary. standard. No, yeah, it's right. God's standard. This is and the it revelation. His character, Absolutely. which doesn't change. Right. Absolutely. And so, so Christ fulfilled the law one of the ways. He fulfilled it in multiple ways, completely. He fulfilled yep. it completely. And one of those ways that add to that completion, that fulfill that completion, is by absorbing the penalty for our law breaking. Right. Which right. is his penal substitution. Right. So right. to deny penal substitution is to deny that Christ fulfilled the law. So the Christ of Broxy Cavey, if you follow that logic, does not fulfill the law and does not obey the law. He doesn't actively fulfill it or right. passively. So he can't, so he, he, therefore, he can't absorb any wrath of God because there is no wrath of God to absorb. And he also can't impute perfect righteousness to us. No, he believes there is wrath of God. It's just taken away because Jesus... Because God winked it away or something like that. Jesus takes it away. Right. So he would he would definitely affirm that if you die uh, not out, outside of Christ, even though he believes that people who aren't Christian, he's an inclusivist, right? Um, but he believes that if, if your sin is not taken away, then you will suffer the wrath of God. Right. For sure. So there's yeah. eventual wrath, but not... Okay, I'm going to do... He's um, an annihilationist, well, I think. Uh, well, right, yeah, yeah, that might be it. Uh, okay, so I'm going to do something that I always hate it when people do, and uh, and that is end this like uh, Empire Strikes Back, where everything seems bleak and horrible, and you have to wait for number three. So uh, we're going to take a, a quick break right now. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep the cam- uh, cameras rolling. We're going to keep the mics rolling, and we're actually just going to do a part two for this uh, because there's still a lot more clips and still a lot more to talk about, and we think it's important enough, too. So we're going to take a quick break. This will be the end of the first episode episode and we'll come back to do part two next week chris yeah i just want to correct empire strikes back as part five so you'd be waiting for part six get it right nate come on 
Well, I'm Ooh. talking about the purest. The twisting, the original, twi- yeah. Twisting, twisting language, language matters, man. Language <laughs> All right, that's just All your right. interpretation. <laughs> now we're just arguing about words. Synonyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're forcing me to use your synonyms, Chris, and I'm, I'm offended by that. All right, we're, things are going to degrade quickly here, so uh, we'll see you next week, and uh, and we'll conclude this conversation. 